good morning, everyone. All right, let's do it again. Good morning. That's better. Happy Mother's Day to all of you that are moms here this morning. And a few warm welcomes. It is good to have a very dear couple that has just moved here to our country. So a special warm welcome to Kezia and Keziano that have moved here from Brazil via Australia. So this is their first Sunday with us as they've moved here. And we're excited to have you. And a special greetings to you both as you're here this morning. And of course, to any of you that are first-time visitors or friends, it is great to have you. And if you are a first-time visitor and uh, you have any needs or questions or anything like that, please, there's uh, little cards in the uh, chairs in front of you. We would love to know about you, and if we can help or pray for you in any way, we want you to know that you can uh, reach out and stuff like that. So the day is Mother's Day, and I do want to talk to the moms, but that by no means means that I don't want to talk to everybody else. Mother's Day is a day set aside to remember. It's a day set aside to acknowledge. It's a day set aside to celebrate. And ultimately, I think, it's a day set aside to give thanks. But who exactly are we thanking? Mom? Well, of course. But after all, the fifth commandment of God to the people of Israel says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. In Deuteronomy, Jesus, or God says this again to the nation of Israel, but he adds some things to it. He says, honor your father and mother as your God has commanded you. Why? That your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you. Later in Leviticus, God would say it again. You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And listen, listen now. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. Someone has said the fifth commandment is really important because if you cannot honor your father and mother, then you cannot honor the Lord. This is the first commandment, as many of you know, with a promise that you'll have a long life and that it'll go well with you. It's what God told the nation of Israel when he gave Moses the law. Paul brings this up again to the letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6 verse 2. But if you are honoring your mother and your father and you're doing it out of reverence to God who gave them to you, then this will teach you to love God with all your heart. Solomon, the son of Bathsheba and David, who was conceived in sin, spoke often of the honor and reverence for to show our parents. And he was a man born out of sinful relationship. And yet he said in Proverbs 6.20, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. In Proverbs 23, it said, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Paul said, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then we're told about how the culture will change. And one of the signs of a culture that changes is actually how the culture treats mom and dad. In the last days, Paul wrote to Timothy, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, listen to these words, ungrateful, unholy, and unloving. So there can be no doubt that both God and God's word shows every one of us here this morning and any of you tuning in online, and he not only shows us, but he declares, he actually commands, but then he promises us 
to do exactly what our world and culture have set this day aside to do. And that is to honor, celebrate, and thank mom and motherhood. But I would be lying to you, and it would be a bit remiss if I didn't tell you that there are a few days on the cultural calendar of the world here in the West, and especially Mother's Day and Father's Day, that for many pastors and even many churches, you can feel that this is one of those days where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You see, if you honor mom and preach a Mother's Day sermon, then what do you do with all the singles and young people? How will it affect those hurt or divorced? What about those who have tried to have children and couldn't? And what about those who have lost children? And what do we say to all the men on Mother's Day? But then, if you go the other way and you ignore the day completely and you simply preach the next passage of the text, then what? Then as pastors and churches, you're accused of you ignore mom, you ignore motherhood, you don't respect the calling and office of motherhood, and you belittle those who are striving to be moms. So you can imagine I had a little bit of trepidation getting up early this morning and trying to figure out, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Again, if you do, what about those who feel celebrating mom is bad? Because let's be honest, not everyone has had a mom, and some have had bad moms. But as I said all these things, and you all found your place in the sequence of it, have you noticed that there's an issue here? Our take on whether we should or shouldn't celebrate motherhood or fatherhood or family, in my view, is regulated to me, right? It's my view, my feelings, my experience. But Calvary Baptist family and those of you that have tuned in online, the gospel, the Bible, even God himself calls us to focus on him and not ourselves, to see him, to worship him, to trust him, and to see how he, God, defines, how God values, how God purposes all of life and all of the people of life. And you see, that's why I had Debbie read Hannah's prayer in conjunction with John 17, 6. See, Hannah's prayer, which often gets overlooked, we often start in 1 Samuel chapter 1, if you're going to hear a Mother's Day sermon, which is all about this dear woman who was barren, and how she went through pain and barrenness. She was made fun of. And it was involved this mocking woman. And also a tender and yet confused husband. And yet the culture's view of womanhood and motherhood in this time of Hannah's life. Was you were actually blessed of God if you could have children. It actually they attached value as a woman to motherhood. And then you have this very inept religious leader named the high priest Eli. And of course there's God himself. And so I wanted Debbie to read not only Hannah's prayer in 2 Samuel chapter 1, but also I wanted her to read John chapter 17 verse 6 because I want us to celebrate moms. I also want to challenge you as moms and future moms, but the great and wonderful thing about God and his word is that we are all challenged. We're all challenged. We're all taught. We're all made more aware of God's plan and his purposes and his promises. And so that's what I want to do today. Now, let's be honest, though. We have another factor we have to consider as we celebrate this particular Mother's Day of 2023. And can I not get a witness on how hard it is to be a mom today? Any moms out there can say amen to that? 
There we go. I mean, just think of all the issues that surround us today. Not only is there having kids, can you have them, can't you have them, will you adopt them, will you foster, but then if you can have them, there's raising them. There's, for many of you today in this world, finding childcare. It's all over the news almost every couple of days. Then there's loving them and schooling them. And then we live in the tension of this culture. How do you accept them and yet not always affirm them? There's competing agendas of our day. Even today, what it means to be a mother, as people are now renaming Mother's Day. There's issues of how to parent, when to let go, and when to hold on tight. And yet, one of the most universal things or words or expressions you'll hear today amongst mom is this. That is my child. They are mine. And one of my favorite stories of motherhood actually comes from my grandmother. I'm an only child, and many of you know a little bit about my story, but both of my grandmothers paid a big part in my life, but one in particular, my dad's mom, where I was the only child, I was the spoiled grandchild. And for most of my life, I used to love to go see my Nan Bray because seeing Nan Bray meant there was money afterwards. And for most of my life, I looked for reasons and excuses to go visit Nan because I needed money. But finally, after getting married and having two children, Debbie and I were visiting my grandmother, and of course, out she came. And it was one of those first times in my life where I really felt like I was a grown-up, and it was now time for me to not to be selfish and to tell Nan she didn't need to do it anymore because she gave money to both my sons, Brandon and Jordan, but then she came to me and would slip some money into my hand. And so I thought I would impress Nan by telling her, you don't, you don't need to do this anymore, Nan. To my shock and horror, as I thought she would be impressed that her grandson had grown up and God had been able to give her a couple of grandsons and she would be so proud of the fact that I was refusing money, she, with a very stern face, because she was five foot one, looked at me and said, now listen, you... When I had your father and your mother had you, I became a mother and a grandmother. And until you're dead or I'm dead, I'm still the grandmother. Now shut up and take this money. (laughs) Needless to say, I never ever tried to correct Nan or impress her again. Now, don't get me wrong. In fact, there's the timing of a mom. That's my mother calling me right now. Mom, I'm preaching. I'm in a suit and tie for you. You're not supposed to call me right now. (laughs) She might have been calling me to say, you're talking about your grandmother. It's Mother's Day. You're supposed to be talking about me. (laughs) Hang on, Mom. I owe a debt. I owe a debt of love to my mother. And it's a debt of love that's too high for me to pay or even mention. My mother read to me and prayed for me. We often say in marriages, in sickness and in health, by my mother loved me and cared for me in sickness and in health every day of my life. She taught me so, so much. She exampled what it was to have drive, how to love, determination, strength, and sacrifice. Whether it was devotion, (laughs) in my house it was devotion slash charm class, where I was taught how to iron how to rise and when a woman entered the room, how to open the door for a woman, how to all these things, and how she taught me how to answer a phone. 
whether we were in the presence of money and power and fame. I had the joy of attending a political rally when Stephen Harper was still the prime minister, and my mother took it in her head that she wanted to tell him she loved him and was praying for him, but he needed to be saved. And I was like, now, Mom, you got to be She said, I don't have to be respectful. I respect Jesus. I'm going to tell him he needs to be saved. Or whether we were in the presence of poverty and weakness and dirt. I remember visiting someone's home in which my mother acted like nothing was wrong. And when we got out into the car, she took all the clothes off of me to burn it because the house was infested with ticks and lice and fleas. Yet my mom wasn't perfect. And she didn't have a perfect son. Tragically, I rebelled for a lot of my teenage years. I lied to my mom. I lied about my mom. I ran away. And yet here's what you need to know. My mom has prayed for me and over me My mom never denied her faith, even when I was the one who caused her to doubt it. My mom always pointed me to her Savior, always trusted her Savior, and prayed to her Savior, talked about her Savior. Mom claimed her son. Amen? And she was wrong. Here is why I had Debbie read Hannah's prayer and John 17, 6. You see, the only one who can pray a prayer of claim is Jesus. And only Jesus can claim me or anyone else as his own. You see, for all of you as moms, the best a mom can do, and I need you to listen to me now, the best a mom can do is surrender her child to God. You see, mom, you can pray for your child and you can cry out for your child, but only Jesus can claim your child. In fact, you can only submit to Jesus because only Jesus can claim you. And if you listen to that prayer of Hannah, remember this woman that was so desperate to be pregnant, when God heard her prayer and she became pregnant, her first order of business was to see follow through on her commitment was, if Lord, if you give me a child, he's yours. And I need you to see that. Here's the thing, though. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, single person, divorced, abused, hurt, betrayed, confused, tired, bewildered. Jesus, hear me now, Jesus prayed not only for you, but Jesus has claimed you. Jesus has revealed God to you and will keep you. The old Anglican minister, J.C. Ryle, said, in this part of the prayer of our Lord in John 17, he begins to speak of his believing people, directly of the 11 apostles, but indirectly of all believers at every age. You see, John chapter 17, beginning in verse 6, all the way to the end of the chapter, the rest of the prayer from this point is entirely taking up with the case of not only his disciples, but every one of us that will believe on him. And this is what I want us to see and get as we leave here today on this Mother's Day. I want you, mom, to understand this. You can pray for yourself and for your kids. Dads, I want you to understand, you can pray for yourself and for your kids and for your wife. Singles, you can pray for yourself and the people that are married around you. You can pray for your desire to be married or your struggle with singleness. If you're here today and you're divorced, 
or you're bitter or you're hurting or you're scared or you're angry or if you feel like life's not fair and you don't understand how we can celebrate motherhood or anyhood for that matter, then I want you to realize John 17, 6 means you too can pray. And you know why? Because if you're here today and say, I am a Christian, then I need you to know something. Jesus prayed for you and is right now praying for you. And if you're here today and you don't know if you're a Christian, or you would say, hey, Steve, I'm here because it's Mother's Day. You put on a tie. I came to church. Then I want you to know this sermon is for you. This passage of Scripture is for you. This one verse is for you. Why? Because it makes a promise. Jesus prayed this and says, if you come to him and experience in him praying for you and over you, and his prayer will not only save you, it will transform you and make you alive in him. In fact, trusting Jesus, and what I mean is trusting who he is and what he says, mean John 17, 6 happens right now before you. And if you're here from my Calvary family, I don't want you to forget what we've studied in verses 1 to 5 over the last few weeks. John 17 is the culmination of Jesus' final and farewell conversation with the disciples. Never forget that as you read these words of the Bible. Judas has already left to betray Jesus. And Jesus is mere hours away from that betrayal. He's then going to suffer and die for the sin of the world for a period of 12 to 18 hours. Jesus will become the great substitute. In fact, one of, if not the greatest verse in the entire Bible may very well be not John 3.16, but 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. Why is that important? Because Jesus knew no sin. But watch this. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the one who now walks across the Kedron Valley on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he stops with these 11 and he prays. But watch now. I've made the point that a mom saying, this child of mine is wrong. But J.M. Boyce reminds us of so much of what we do. The reason I say it's selfish to claim your children as yours is because... We tend to be selfish as human beings. William Gladstone, the great English statement, said, Selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. The poet Robert Browning wrote, Man seeks his own good at the world's cost all the time. We see it in our prayers even, don't we? We pray for ourselves, and most of the time, even when we pray for ourselves, it is often with a view towards what uh, we pray for ourselves most of the time, and even when we pray for others, it is often with a view toward what they can do for us. You know, hey, husbands, be honest. Lord, help my wife to get better so she can start doing the dishes again. <laughs> Some men are looking really nervous, going, This is Mother's Day, dude, move on. How about this one? Help my boss to become a Christian so he won't be so mean to me. You see what we do? How subtle it is? We think we're praying noble prayers, but it's actually quite selfish. But see, Jesus is not selfish. Nor are his prayers selfish. Now, it's true that in John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, he begins by praying for what concerns himself. Remember what he says? Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. But watch now, even in that request, it's never for Jesus' interest as opposed to others'. 
He asked to be glorified. Why? In order that he might in turn glorify the Father. And so we have this record in John chapter 17 that can be broken to three sections, 1 to 5, and then 6 down to 19, and then 20 down to the end. We have this record of one petition in verse 1 to 5 concerning himself, but there are four petitions for the disciples and for you and I. Or to put it in terms of verses, there are five verses given to Jesus praying for himself, and then there's 21 verses where Jesus prays for his disciples and for you and I. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Revealer of God, Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, Judge, Creator, Everlasting Father, prays. And so moms, write this down today. Jesus reveals God to us, so mom, point your children to Jesus. Look again at verse 6. Uh, if you would, I want to read it from the CSB. Debbie read it from the ESV. I, I really like how the CSB lays out this verse. Listen to what it says again, verse 6. Jesus prays, I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, now let me read it again. Jesus prays to his Father, I have revealed your name to the men and women that you have given me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, if you're here this morning and claim to be a Christian, I want you right now, put yourself in this prayer. Jesus says, I have revealed your name to Paul, to Daniel, to Scott, to Derek. I have revealed your name to them from the world. I have revealed your name to Jennifer, to Andrea, to Flo, to put yourself there. They were yours. <laughs> That's an amazing statement. And then he said, Jesus says, and Father, you gave them to me. And then he makes this most amazing statement, they have kept your word. Now, why am I going on about this? Because this is what theologians call John's encounter theology. The whole idea of his gospel is he's teaching us how men and women encounter Jesus. And the best way that you can get this is if you go back to John's introduction. So if you got your Bibles, go back to John chapter 1. Why is this so important that he would pray this one sentence in John 17, 6? Because if you remember when John the apostle started his gospel, he says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, with God, and the word was God. Remember, he says, I have revealed him to you, them to you, right? He goes, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not made anything made that was made. But watch now, verse 9. The true life, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet watch this. The world did not know him. One of the most tragic verses in the Bible, verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own people did not receive him. But then watch this. Watch the hope, the encounter theology. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. Now, why is that important? Who were born, watch this, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, watch verse 18. No one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He Jesus has made him known. 
Listen, you can pray to God for your children, mom, because Jesus revealed God to you. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus revealed God to his disciples? I mean, do we honestly believe that they didn't know who God was? I mean, honestly. You really think they were shocked? This is where we look to John's introduction, what I've just said. This is why it's called John's encounter theology. As a result, Jesus has revealed your name, by which he means the true nature and person of the Father. Jesus is the Word, the living revealer of God. The disciples were progressively more aware of the place of God in their lives and what it means. In other words, he didn't just tell them the names of God. He didn't walk around for three years and say, I want you to know that God's name is Yahweh or Jehovah or Adonai or Lord most importantly or most high. They would have said, thank you, Captain Obvious. We've been learning that since the day we were born. Jesus is now praying for the disciples and us what we have already prayed for or what he's already prayed for in verses 1 to 5. Jesus is going to go and die for sin, our sin. And he will die for our sinfulness. Why? So that we can be made right with God and not not only know that he exists or what his names are, but because of Jesus, we can know God. Are you ready for this? As Father. Mom... It's not good enough to simply share information about God with your kids. You've got to reveal your relationship with God. In other words, you're doing way more than saying God exists and this is his name. Rather, you're saying God exists and here is who he is. I know him as father. God has given me life and God and only God gives me peace and meaning and value and identity and purpose and he'll do that for you. Remember what I'm saying here. Jesus Christ was sent with a purpose, John 3, 16. Jesus was given a mission, John 17, 1. Jesus is the revealer of God, John 17, 6. Jesus has the power to accomplish that mission in John 17, 3, 4, and 5. Jesus lovingly fulfilled the mission. Hebrews 12, who for the love that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus prayed more for you than himself. Jesus still prays for us and over us. Jesus represents us to God. Jesus accomplished the mission, means adoption papers are now signed. And Jesus' obedience means God is more than just creator judge, but he's now justifying father. Amen? Amen. Somebody get more excited than that. Now, moms, here's my second point. God gives Jesus a people. And mom, God has given you a child. Mom, God gave Jesus a people. So God has given you a child. Notice in our verse it says, they were yours and you gave them to me. God gives Jesus a people. Now, notice what Jesus actually prays. Because he says they always belonged to God. They were always yours. So, ipso facto, they are a gift to Jesus. And so, can I ask on this Mother's Day, is there anything more applicable? Mom, Dad, almost everyone and anyone I talk to, and I've done this myself, will say, this gift from God. When you talk to them about their children, whether it's natural birth or adoption or fostering or even surrogate adoption and all these types of things, someone will inevitably say, oh, God has blessed us with this gift, this little gift from God. It's almost like we can't help ourselves. We know that children are a gift of God, but mom, God has indeed given you a child, but that child belongs to God. Again, J.C. Ryle says, so long as we are on earth... We have to do with invitations and promises and commands, evidences and faith. 
And God's election never destroys our responsibility. But all true believers who really repent and believe and have the Spirit may fairly take comfort in the thought that they were known and cared for and given to Christ by an eternal covenant long before they knew Christ or even cared for Him. It is an unspeakable comfort to remember that Christ cares for that which the Father has given Him. But here's the rub. All too often, verses and phrases like this confuse us, and in our churches, we fight over them. Look again at the verse. Notice what Jesus prays. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, this is, again, words like this can make us nervous. They were God's, and he gave them. I mean, a lot of us love Romans chapter 8, verse 28, right? All things work together for good to them who love God, were called according to his purpose. But very few of us memorize the next verses afterwards. No, sir, you didn't get that because you're not human. Um, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now listen to this. For those whom he foreknew, God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You want to take a passage of Scripture that gets Christians fighting, this is one of them. Right up there with Ephesians chapter 2. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This seems to agree with what Jesus prayed. They were yours, and you gave them to me. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, why did this happen? In love, he, God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. How? Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us and the beloved. So here's the question that's burning up the evangelical church of today. Who are the elect? And what if I said to you, that's not the question to ask? We shouldn't be asking who are the elect? We should be asking, are you sensing the electing call of God? Richard Philip does a great job helping us in this. I love the way he does it. He says, the primary description that Jesus gives of his people in the prayer of John 17 is that they are those whom God the Father gave him in eternity past. He speaks of believers as the people whom you gave me. Believe it or not, no fewer than five times in this one chapter. In this one chapter, in this one prayer, Jesus will refer to God and say, whom you gave me, whom you gave me. And this raises a vital question, namely, who are the elect? Those who belong to Jesus by the sovereign, eternal choosing of God. Now, in one sense, this is a question that we cannot answer and should not ask. Why? Because we're not granted a peek into the book of life spoken of in Revelation chapter 13, the volume that records the identity of each of God's people. And believe it or not, The Bible never tells us to squander our anxious moments by wondering whether or not we are the elect. The closest statement is actually found in 2 Peter chapter 1, where he says, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. And yet, Peter does not say to make ourselves elect, but to give evidence of our election by a living faith. Am I elect or is he or she elect is a question the Bible never endorses. 
So instead of fussing over, am I the elect, here's what I want to ask every one of you. Are you sensing the call of God? Mom, you are called to be just that, a mom. You can't be a savior. You can pray for your kids. You can tell your kids about Jesus. You can point them to Jesus. You can even admit your faults as a mom. But like Paul who told the Corinthians that some plant and some water the gospel on your kids, but only God can save them. Are they elect? Hmm, That depends. If they hear and respond to God's call, yes. And what are we to do about this? Are you supposed to be fatalistic and give up? Absolutely not. We are called to pray and to share and to give and to witness and to show them that we trust in God. That's the essence of Hannah's prayer. Go back, moms, today and read it again. And by the way, moms and women, where are the great women prayer warriors of today in 2023 at Calvary Baptist? Where are the Hannahs that will pray that magnificent prayer of thanksgiving? Where is the mother of Moses who prayed for her son and was then willing to put him in a river and let him float down river, trusting God to protect her son? Where is the mother and grandmother of Timothy? Where is Mary, the mother of Jesus in our church? Where is the Ruth of our church and the Tamar of our church? Where is even the Bathsheba of our church? The primary call on your life, by the way, ladies, is not to mother for Jesus. The primary call of your life is to mother by being with Jesus. Motherhood is a mission given. It's not an identity to be fulfilled. Motherhood is a stewardship, not a fellowship. Motherhood is the opportunity to pass Jesus on to another generation, not an invitation to play God. Terry Virgo says, it's so sad that a world in turmoil with increasing suicides, mental illness, divorce, and stress turns its back on the God who provides such peace. Our Prince of Peace can remove the agony and self-destruction. His death and resurrection and personal presence transforms everything. This prayer and this promise means that fearing people, in other words, living afraid of them or living gaga all over them, is a dangerous trap. Jesus, in his prayer, frees us from all forms of people idolatry, including moms, worshiping your children. As one mom in church said, when temptations are loud, pray louder. When sorrows are extensive, pray more extensively. When joy is inexpressible, then express praise. When you don't know what to do or where where to go, pray. When When you do know what to do and where to go, praise. There's power in prayer and purpose in praise. But moms, let me ask you this. Did you ever notice in the Lord's Prayer, and while we were away, Daniel Henderson brought us through this, and it so convicted me. He said, where is it in our prayer lives where we worship first, then submit ourselves, and then we talk to God about our requests? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's worship. It's worship. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's submission. Have you ever noticed how often in prayer we go right to our grocery list of requests? And we don't worship him first. We don't submit to him second. Because only after you worship him and submit to him will you then give him requests with the right heart. Jesus frees us from this. But then finally, moms, 
Jesus keeps God's word, notice this, reveals God's word, and empowers us to keep his word. So mom, I challenge you to keep God's word and point your kids to it as well. This closing statement is actually one that I think can be the most confusing, but also the most amazing and hope-giving and mercy expression and love motivating. He says, they have kept your word. What? How? I mean, did Jesus not remember who these 11 were? They have kept your word. These are the ones who argued over position and power. These are the same 11 who were confused about Jesus' identity and plan and purpose. These were the same 11 who were afraid of nature more than Jesus. These were the same 11 that were powerless before disease. Peter tried to stop the plan. Thomas questioned the plan. James and John sucked up to him to be a part of the plan. And Nathaniel wondered if he was even the Messiah. And Jesus says, they have kept my word. What could that possibly mean? J.C. Ryle again says, Here our Lord continues the description of his disciples and names things about them which may have been seen by men as well as God. He says they have kept or observed or attended to the word of the gospel. While others would not attend to or keep the word, these 11 men had hearing ears and attentive hearts and diligently obeyed the message. In other words, they weren't perfect, but they trusted and followed the one who was. This wasn't about perfection, This was about trusting perfection and wanting to be like Christ. Remember, this is the same Jesus who says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus says, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. There was a popular television show in the 1980s called Family Ties. Any of you over the age of 40 probably know what I'm talking about. Any under the age of 40 wonder, all right, Steve, you just went old man on us. In the series finale, there's a very emotional scene between the main character, Alex Keaton, and his mom. As you know, Alex is played by Michael J. Fox, the famous Canadian actor who has battled Parkinson's disease. But he challenges his mom and he says, we've established that you're the mom and you want to have control over me. And she says, yes, I want to control you, for then I will feel safe and valuable. And Alex, this is something you will never understand. Because when you leave now, a part of me dies and leaves. And you can hear the crowd, oh. And Michael J. Fox wants quickly to console his mom. But I want you to realize that as much as sentimental that is, that's a wrong view of motherhood. Your value, your purpose, your identity is not found in your children. It is found in Jesus Christ. And when you find your value and your identity and your purpose in Jesus Christ, see, mom, are you desperate to pray to the one who lovingly and faithfully and patiently and powerfully and glorifyingly prays for you? Hey, moms, dads, church, when do you ask for prayer? And when do you pray? What if you and I actually believed my kids could really go to hell? How would that change our prayer lives? What if, Calvary Baptist, we actually believed that if Jesus came back today, over 248,000 people in this city and their surrounding area could actually go to hell if they died? What if we really believed that our marriages and our families and our health and our money and our jobs were really hanging in the balance? 
The great missionary Hudson Taylor said this, I am so weak that I can hardly write. I cannot read my Bible. I cannot even pray. I can only lie still in the arms, God's arms, like a little child and trust. We cannot confuse spiritual activity for spiritual maturity, nor can you fuse commitment versus the Bible's language, which is to die. We often say, are you committed to Christ? And I would challenge you, that's language not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't ask for commitment. The Bible says, die to self and live to Christ. Martin Luther says, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent, that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. How about it, Mom? Dad, married, unmarried, are you trusting the praying, mission-obedient, love-conquering, mercy-granting, grace-giving Savior with your life, the life of your spouse and parents and kids? Hey, kids, are you trusting and finding your value in Christ or in your parents or your mom and dad? Or are some of you here and you're angry with your mom or you're bitter towards your dad? Are you not trusting of a pastor or a church because you've been hurt or mistreated or overlooked? Are you resentful and paranoid and judgmental because you've had a failed friendship or something has gone wrong? Then you need to listen. Will you hear the prayer Jesus prayed for you and realize what this prayer means? This prayer paved the way for Peter to be restored and become the leader of the early church. It recruited and represented him to Jesus. This prayer empowered James to pastor the church of Jerusalem and be its first martyr. This prayer sent Matthew and Bartholomew and Nathaniel to different parts of the world. It changed them into prayer warriors and made each of them witnesses, friends, mom. This prayer quieted the questioning spirit of Thomas, called Philip, and changed John. So mom, why doubt this prayer? Why not trust it and allow Jesus' love and prayer to fuel your prayer life? Calm your fears, fulfill your identity, give you purpose, and empower your sacrifice. Oh, Calvary Baptist, the more we are assured of God's love and how much we don't deserve it, then the more we are humbled and filled with joy. And so, moms, will you Reveal God to your husband. Will you reveal God to your children? Will you reveal God to your friends? Will you reveal God to your fellow moms? Everybody, will you talk about God, sing to God, pray to God, trust God, follow God? Will you read of him? Will you live out your relationship with God and not just information about him? Moms and women, will you be a woman of the word? Hey, Calvary, will we be? I mean, when was the last time you actually read God's Word? Have you ever noticed something? Why is it that songs like How Deep the Father's Love for Us or Cornerstone seem to be more powerful and more emotional to us than the actual Word of God? Listen again to Jesus praying for you. They were yours, but you gave them to me. I have revealed, I remember hearing my mom and my dad plead for my soul and my life, and they still do. One of the most shocking moments to me after I first came home from running away, and I was still nervous, and it was still awkward in our family, and I woke up, and I went out, and I found my mom and my dad praying quietly in the living room, and I heard the words of my mom as tears rolled down her face, and she asked God to forgive her. And said, I give Stephen to you because he's yours. Are we willing to pray prayers confessing our sin, moms and dads? 
confessing the sins of our kids. We forget that about Job. Before God took those children from him, remember what it says, that he was praying, confessing for his kids, and they were not in his presence. Listen to what Jesus prays over you. In this Mother's Day, Mom, will you hear Jesus pray for you and over you, and will you allow that to motivate you to pray to Jesus in worship and to submit your will and heart? Dad, will you pray for your wife and the mother of your kids? And whether you're here this morning and you're single, divorced, grandma, grandpa, whether you're hurting, whether you're orphaned or adopted, whether you're here this morning and you're abandoned or you're angry or you're searching or you're self-righteous, if you feel like you failed as a mom or failed as a dad or failed as a adult, if you're a young man or a young woman, if you're filled with self-righteousness or bogged down under the burden and shame of guilt, listen to Jesus pray for you. Do you wonder, am I called? Does Jesus love me? Would Jesus pray for me? And I end with this. Here's my answer. A few weeks ago, we had our Engage conference and the dedication, and we had all these pastoral teams come in from all these churches, and we gave them a tour of St. John's, and one of the tours was to go to the Basilica, which I will tell you, if you haven't done it, go. It is an absolutely beautiful building. But in the tour, our tour guide said this. He, He was so enamored with the idea of ecumenicism and that we all just believe the same God, and we all say the same things, and He asked someone to come help him lift the the curtain up over the main altar at the front of the basilica. And in there is a statue of Jesus laying on what they call the slab of which was to represent the idea when Jesus was taken off the cross, he was put on this and his body prepared. It's quite powerful. And the man talks about a cruise ship that came in with 6,000 visitors and some guy from Iceland came in. And he looked throughout the church and he went right to the altar and he saw this statue of Jesus on this slab and he instantly starts to bow before it. And there was a priest there and and a lady there that worked for the church and they basically did rock, paper, scissors as to who was going to have to go talk to him. The lady decided that she would and she goes up and she kneels down by this man and he says, who is this? And she says, this is a representation of Jesus Christ after he died on the cross. And he said, "Why, why did he die? And she said, well, he died because we're sinners, and so he gave up his life to pay for our sin. And he said, well, why would he do that? And she said, well, because he loved us. And then our tour guide said the man just burst into tears, and he was shaking with tears, and he said, no one loves me. And when she said, well, Jesus does. Even with the group of pastors I was in, it was deathly still. There were pastors with tears in their eyes. It's a powerful powerful story. But the tragedy of it for me was the man then looked at us and said, now we didn't try to convert him. She got up and left him there. Jesus prayed so that you don't have to be left there. Jesus did live and die for our sin because he loved us. And when you think nobody loves me and can anybody love my children besides me, the answer is absolutely yes, Jesus Christ, the creator and savior of your children. And when you're crying and wondering, that's the time to say, oh God, save me, save them. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, he loves you, he has prayed for you, don't leave. And moms and dads, and men and women and Christians. Don't trust yourself. 
Trust Jesus. Don't try and save yourself or save your family. Trust Jesus. Give them to Christ. Then you will pray Hannah's prayer and you will trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your prayer for me and for us. And Lord, I pray that moms will be challenged and encouraged this morning that because you prayed, they can pray. Lord, I pray that they can know because you have revealed yourself, they can reveal you to their children. I pray that because you have kept us and you have been given a people by your Father that moms can know that they have a child given of God to them that they can give back to him. Father, I pray that we all, men and women, young and old, married and single, and whatever our tragedy or praise, whatever our status or how, whatever our story, if we know you, then you will keep us. If we don't know you, you will save us. If we will, but do the same thing, trust you. So Lord, encourage moms, but challenge them. Encourage dads, but help them to step up and be men of God who pray with and read to and love their kids and their wives. I pray for the young men and women here that they would want to trust you with the plan of how you identify us and give us purpose and value. And if there is anyone here hurting in need of prayer, if there's anyone here searching, if there's anyone here angry, oh God, would your spirit now move? And if there's anyone wondering, am I the elect? If they feel that call of God, may they respond. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.